0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. For the last 20 years, or, or since 2002 to be exact, Matt Armitage has been waiting for the world predicted in my narrative report to happen. Mass surveillance, artificial intelligence predicting our every move, and advertising intruding into every facet of our daily life. Is the Metaverse Minority Report brought to life, or is Matt a deranged old man wallowing in a pool? Matt. Rich,
1: uh, thank you for getting the uh, digs in early. Yeah, I probably am a deranged (laughs) old guy wallowing uh, in a pool. Um, But, you know, apart from the the stars, war and trek, um, Minority Report is probably our most frequent cultural reference on this show. It's, you know, it's incredible how futuristic that film still seems today Mm. and how familiar it is at the same time. You know, Spielberg managed to do uh, something quite incredible. He he pushed the envelope technologically with the the futurism aspects, but there was still that relatable suburban feel to it. You know, it was Mm. near and far at the same time which is what a lot of the best science fiction is. But the movie also, you know, it predicts the rise of surveillance capitalism in a lot of ways. It accurately portrayed the direction that a lot of the emergent technologies were heading in. Uh, You know, things like cameras linked to computers and deep mining algorithms that are able to search not only for individuals, but to predict our patterns of behavior.
0: Although in Spielberg's model, the predictive AI uh, was, really bunch of, uh, was really a bunch of psychic humans linked together to create a uh, group mind.
1: Well, for sure. But you can read that as a, a neural network in a lot of ways, I guess. you know yeah. That was a, a point where a, a, an AI robot had to look like Hayley Joel Osment for us to be able to accept it. You know, it was kind of different times. We've talked about the metaverse uh, a little bit over the past few months especially Mm. now that you know facebook is meta but one of the cool things during zuckerberg's announcement of that rebranding was a demo of the kind of hyper realistic avatar that we could be using in the uh, the metaverse Mm -hmm. you know if a lot of people are, are getting in a fuss about sex and gender roles now wait until we all exist metaphysically and can choose and swap and blend genders at will
0: is is that where we're going today with this uh freedom of expression
1: to an extent but more to the contrary really sort of the erosion of that freedom of expression so yes you know there is that potential for all of that uh, blossoming uh, of the the way that we express ourselves we can portray ourselves the way we see ourselves or i hope we'll be able to which of course may be problematic in some instances there are still mm. plenty of trolls out there and you know at least initially we may find there's a pressure to conform to certain standards of uh, beauty with our digital avatars, though I imagine that will fade over the time. Uh, I'm going to be going for a cross between uh, Jabba the Hutt and Chet from Weird Science, or or I might (laughs) go for uh, the entire Blue Man group. I'm kind of undecided.
0: Okay, um, let's talk up some of the uh, positives first then.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that people get really confused about with the metaverse is that virtual reality element. Mm. And as we're talking about something that's largely hypothetical as well, it can be hard to hook people into what that that construction, what that fabric of the metaverse might look like.
0: Uh, Especially as it doesn't really look like anything.
1: Well, yeah, because, you know, it is intangible. You're kind of explaining to people how they can have A tangible life inside this intangible entity so Mm. that's why movies like minority report act as a good crutch because when people think about virtual reality they think about someone wearing weird goggles and that they're walled off from the real world yeah augmented reality on the other hand is something that a lot of us are actually using without really knowing we're using it uh Again, you know, the, the the movie version of it is like, you know, Google Glasses on steroids. But when you take a photo of something and use Snapchat or Google to identify it, it could be something as simple as, a uh, you know, a product uh, or, you know, a flower or a plant. And mm-hmm. or, or you use that live translate function to look at a sign or some text in a foreign language to find out what it means, and it's instantly translated for you. Uh, you know, I, I used that one time on something that was supposedly uh, all natural and all organic, something I'd bought online. And I found out from the Japanese on the packet that it was actually made from 100% plastic,
0: oh wow um but yeah not to mention gaming experiences like uh pokemon go for example
1: yeah i mean that's another really great example of augmented reality uh, literally at play so yes we can use google maps and other apps and hold a phone up to the, the world and see these kind of information overlays but our interactions tend to be limited we mm. haven't made that jump into uh portable screens into wearable screens in a really big way. So I mentioned Google Glass just before. Uh, People found those, you know, augmented reality spectacles creepy rather than cool. And they were actually banned in a lot of bars and clubs. The idea that someone might be looking up information about you as you were speaking to them or maybe taking candid photos or video it was just too uncomfortable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but companies like Snap and Facebook, I I, I just, I can't call it meta. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I know you spent millions, but it's still Facebook to me. So yeah. um, companies like Snap and Facebook are betting on this kind of um, miniaturized wearable screen technology to propel their businesses into the next few decades.
0: And that's without mentioning the uh, screenless element.
1: Yeah, I think this is actually the most baffling part of the idea of the metaverse for a lot of people. You know, they can get some kind of grip of that immersive VR or AR part. They can see the the AR part emerging, although um, what and how exactly it might be used is still a bit of a leap. But the screenless as- aspect which is already here, you know, in the form of Alexa, Siri, Google Assistant, Mm -hmm. is already a major component of what the uh, metaverse is going to be. And Mm -hmm. that idea of talking to yourself and getting a reply. You know, one of my favorite examples to freak people out was the chip in the brain idea, where an artificial intelligence sentient or otherwise might live inside your head on a chip Mm. so that you could effectively be more than one person or personality you know a kind of uh, electronic quarto if you want another uh, sci-fi reference
0: yeah Uh, won't that screenless technology be quite limited in scope though
1: Well, people base that kind of expectation on where the technology is at now. So, you know, Google, what's the weather like? What time is it? Uh, Which crypto is Elon Musk backing today? They Mm. forget that screens are an intrusion in terms of communication. Speaking is how we communicate most efficiently. That's why people are still listening to radio shows and podcasts like this one, or claiming Mm -hmm. that they don't listen to this podcast. Uh, I I don't know how many of uh, of our listeners have used those museum guides, you know, those audio recordings that tell you about the exhibits as you walk around the, the hall. But that's a really good example of non-visual augmented reality. Yeah. And the, the the world could evolve in that way, you know, where we can receive information. It might be factual. It might be promotional from many of the objects we interact with daily. Uh, traffic information updates that are triggered when you pass a sensor, for example, or a list of uh, daily specials while you stand in line looking at the cakes, something I do quite often. <laughs> um you know, what I think will be more confusing will be the seamlessness of the transition from that screenless to the screen and to immersive kind of VR experiences.
0: So would you say that most people uh, think you need uh, a bunch of different devices to do all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why all of this is so confusing. Um, you know, Uh, One device could potentially seamlessly move from audio to visual AR to fully immersive VR, because people base their vision of the metaverse on the hardware we have now. And that's understandable. You know, people want that frame, they want that context. But what companies like Snap and Facebook are trying to create are devices that will do most or possibly all of those things, Uh, Mm -hmm. wearable metaverse convergence devices that will let you switch between audio responses to an AR enhanced screen and then close down into a fully immersive VR experience so that potentially you could be on an audio call with a friend switch it to a heads-up display to, to see them on the screen in front of you, on your, your glasses or your contact lens, or even switch to a, a more immersive hybrid mode where your friend's avatar is sitting there on the couch beside you or at a table with you, or simply go fully immersive where both of you are your avatars in a fully digital environment. So for me, that's essentially the metaverse, the ability to swap between all of those formats and experiences Pretty much instantly,
0: and when we talk about um, or, or, or think about the, the fully immersive aspect, we you know we think about stuff like actions and sensations, running and jumping in a game, for example, or feeling somebody uh, touching your arm, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So you know, again, we go back to those rather unimpressive looking virtual reality suits and gloves, but again we're looking at the current hardware. Mm-hmm. if you look at the tech on phones like um, depth sensing lidar cameras um, eye tracking devices, and as I mentioned about the 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 possibility of those convergence devices, it may not be long before we can set all those bulky rigs aside. Mm-hmm. You know this next bit is really far future stuff by the way it's not necessarily something that Could even happen successfully. Uh, But uh, one of the the projects, uh, Elon Musk's projects, that's been going a little bit under the radar of late is his Neuralink, Mm. the implantable brain computer interface that the company is developing. BCI devices are really jumping ahead. Just this year, a a paralyzed man uh, used a a brain computing interface to type at 90 words a minute. We've Mm -hmm. seen people using BCI devices to control video games. So what would it take for those same implantable chips to transmit or deliver sensations so that somebody hugging you in a virtual cafe, you actually feel that physically and emotionally as though Mm -hmm. someone's doing it to your body? or a mm. sensation chip that uh, causes you to, to to feel the blows or attacks while you're playing games.
0: So you see these as the positives?
1: Well, you know, these are the kind of enabling aspects of the, the technology, not necessarily getting stabbed in a video game. But, um, you know, think about art or storytelling that could exist in multiple spaces and dimensions or the kind of outreach that you could bring to lonely or vulnerable people. Uh, mm-hmm. You could be giving access to the world's top educational establishments without those pupils having to move to another city or country. The same with medicine, you know, giving people access to medical specialists – you could be offering people a much wider pool of employment opportunities. Mm. So the metaverse could make all of these things possible and a lot, lot more on, on top. But of course, you know, these are the utopian examples. These are the best case scenarios. And, you know, to be frank, this isn't the kind of science fiction that we want to watch. It's (laughs) kind of dull to have people happy all the time on screen. There's not much of a story there. But that is the kind of science fiction reality that a lot of us would like to live.
0: All right. uh, Let's take a short break here. uh, And when we come back, uh, privacy in a meta era. You're listening to Matt Splane here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Beating Fickle Mindsets, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and this is Matt Splate. And before the break, uh, Matt, you laid out a case for the metaverse and its uses uh, that seem pretty attractive, instantly switching from voice to fully immersive experience. Where do you see... um, this darker element creeping in. I've got to ask you that.
1: Well, of course, the metaverse is going to be built on the internet that we have now. So we Mm. can see those darker elements in that current model of the internet. So we discussed a, a couple of shows ago We don't like paying for things online. Sure, we'll happily buy, you know, we'll buy the products and services that are advertised on our Facebook and Instagram feeds, but we don't want to actually pay for Facebook or Instagram itself, or even something like Fortnite for that matter. So those companies have to come up with other ways to make money. Uh, In something like Fortnite, that ranges from selling you clothes and weapons for your character to tickets to virtual events and experiences. For Facebook and a huge chunk of the digital economy, it's via that monetization of data. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about that. You know, we're all aware of the the various data gathering scandals, the leaks, the intrusions. And mm-hmm. that's one of the the kind of leading reasons for the resentment that a lot of consumers feel towards the big tech companies.
0: And this is where the connection to Minority Report comes in, is it?
1: Well, yeah. So one of the crazier conspiracy theories about the COVID vaccines has been that Bill Gates and or the World Health Organization has slipped tiny mind-control chips into the vaccines Uh and that the pandemic was created to advance an agenda. It could be mind control or a one-world government. could be invasions by United Nations troops. You know, each conspiracy carries tweaks and different variations on the theme. But mm-hmm. we've seen this mind control chip narrative presenting itself in conspiracies for for years, mm. that governments can use implanted chips to track and monitor us. I mean, I think one of the early ones was uh, chips in uh, dental fillings. I mean, that's from the, the kind of 1970s and, and 80s. And of course, uh, you know, this is something that you'll often find in science fiction. Uh, the intravenous tracker that can be remote detonated to kill the wearer. Uh, I think that's in the the Hunger Games as well as a lot of other movies. Uh, or the barcode tattoo that has to be scanned everywhere you go. I mean, that's pretty much every dystopian sci-fi movie. The thing is, in reality... We don't need to be chipped because most of us voluntarily carry that universal tracker with us everywhere we go. Our GPS and cell tower contacting phones and other smart wearables like the Apple Watch that I'm wearing now.
0: You don't mean this from a conspiracy point of view, though, right?
1: No, not at all. In fact, you know, exactly the opposite. We've seen uh, plenty of examples of big tech and telco companies pushing back against governments that want access to our user data. But mm. those same companies are using that information to track us in order to sell us things, which a lot of people see as less intrusive than, say, a government tracking you. And again, that's not the debate that I want to weigh into today, but it does bring us back to that Minority Report Association again, because what's really jarring about that world is isn't the fact that, you know, psychokinetic swimmers are deciding people's fates, (laughs) but it's the personalized advertising that's everywhere, the electronic billboards that only your smart lenses uh, Mm. let you see or the stores that greet you by name as you enter and, and show you a list of past purchases and product recommendations.
0: Which is essentially the world we currently live in when we go online.
1: Well, yeah. So, you know, that metaverse, which is basically an always on internet talking to you and, and showing you information, brings that screen experience into the real world. So mm. think about the the information you'll be delivering to uh, the companies who operate those metaverse systems. Your real life now becomes that flow of data literally everything you look at Um, a a lidar detector could feed back the exact dimensions of your home its color its color scheme you know your current furniture and even the the models of the appliances you have in the home allowing uh, companies to target you with personalized products to fit and complement your space or to know what's in your refrigerator or knowing that your toothpaste tube is nearly empty
0: I mean, I'm not lying, Matt. Some of that sounds quite useful.
1: I mean, it is. You know, like I said, this isn't a conspiracy to control us. It's a business model, and business models are built on utility. It's not meant to be, or at least it's not meant to appear to be, oppressive. And if you think that the idea is far-fetched, and thank you to an article called The Next Privacy Crisis by uh, Addy Robertson on The Verge's website, which has saved me the trouble of having to research the uh, specific examples for this piece. Uh, The piece references a 2017 patent application by the virtual reality development company Magic Leap, which Mm. imagines a user looking at a branded coffee cup and that triggering a voucher for a Starbucks coffee along with the location details of the nearest store. So imagine the multiplier effect there. Everything you look at triggering some kind of special offer or information about a product or service seamlessly intertwined with the useful information that those same devices are feeding you about the world around you.
0: Um, I mean, that might be a little bit uh confusing for some people to imagine how can you imagine that scenario playing out
1: I- I've just kind of realized that I I've, I don't think we've ever used a show with the word confused so many times. But, um, you know, imagine <laughs> you're walking through the, the the city, walking through the city to a meeting or an appointment. Right. You've requested the, uh, the location, the place you're going to, on your favorite mapping service. So as you walk along the route with your device guiding you, your smart lens is streaming and analyzing everything as you go. Your mm-hmm. smartwatch may be checking your heart rate, looking at things like blood oxygen levels so you know it tells you that it thinks you're dehydrated you should grab a drink and by the way your preferred sports drink is on special offer at the corner store that you're currently passing oh yeah and that you know while you're here you're running low on breakfast cereal but why don't you try this new product it's not the one that you usually get but you know it kind of fits your taste preferences and they're offering you a really great deal on it uh So you carry on to the meeting, Uh, you've added it to your schedule. So a helpful message pops up saying, you know, 67% of meetings go better with coffee and cake. You've Uh. added the names of the uh, people that you're going to be meeting. So the devices know who's going to be there. And it knows that one of your clients drinks flat white with oatmeal milk and likes mm. frosted beignets. So your meta device advises you to pop into the coffee shop, again, that you might just be passing and pick up what is their favorite or perhaps their regular order. And it'll do the same for all the other people in the meeting that you're about to meet.
0: Got it. Now, a lot of people might see that kind of situation as more of a um, irritation, rather than an intrusion, right?
1: Yeah, but, you know, that brings us to the other side of always-on devices. They're feeding information to you, but they're always watching as well. So this is uh, an example we've used before and that The Verge touches on as well in their article. The device is monitoring how you live your life. It's providing real-time risk assessments and risk analysis. What you eat, what you drink – do you walk out into traffic to cross a road or do you go and uh, wait at a crossing? Do you regularly drive faster than the the speed limits? You know, imagine your health, your life or your motor insurance premiums being based on that flow of data, that those donuts that the same device is enticing you to buy might invalidate your medical insurance claim after a heart attack or exclude mm-hmm. you for, from being covered for th- diseases like diabetes our wants and desires are not always going to be in our best interest
0: what about the um surveillance aspect of always on augmented devices
1: I mean, in terms of the the wider privacy, that's definitely the biggest issue. Uh, one of the issues people had with Google Glass was the possibility that the user had some sort of facial recognition software that was identifying all the people around them. And mm. again, this isn't imagination or conjecture. Uh, the Verge article points out that the facial recognition is essentially the elephant in the room when it comes to augmented reality. Uh Brazilian police tried out facial recognition smart glasses during the World Cup a few years ago uh, to identify known criminals in large crowds of people. And there, again, you see, we're back to minority report.
0: Okay, um, on last week's show, you talked about the um, age verification software that could be deployed in stores or online to check whether someone is uh, the age that they claim to be.
1: Yeah, so that's a a service called uh, Yoti. Now, that service, it doesn't store the images or match them to identities. Uh, But we talked earlier in the year about facial recognition payment systems, for example, Mm. where a camera at the till scans your face and debits the payment from a linked account. Again, not science fiction. This is current reality. For convenience, we're voluntarily using our faces, our images, as markers of our identity. So there's that growing concern that uh, a metaverse or AR devices linked to facial recognition software could be identifying everybody that your camera comes in contact with. So mm-hmm. we're back to Minority Report again, and the, the store saying hi to you as you enter is just one example. But the more concerning one is, is that your device cross-references that data with all the other wearers, identifying the the people and the activities of everyone you come into contact with.
0: Or it could just be, you know, evaluating how good I look in my new shirt.
1: Yeah, or in my case, how quickly I turned Prada into a potato sack. But, you know, any kind (laughs) of meaningful (laughs) privacy would be dead in that instance because any time you appeared in public – you would be tracked. Even if you weren't wearing or carrying your own smart device, hundreds of other people's devices might be identifying you and tagging you to that location, Mm. building up data points that you had no idea about and you certainly hadn't consented to. Again, a, a lot of people might not care. That could be a future that you know, you're happy to pursue. Uh, a lot of people may be willing to make that trade-off between convenience and intrusion. Mm. But what's different from previous data tracking is that there really is no opt-out, because you don't have to belong to the club in order to be tracked.
0: And where are the where where are we with the rules and the regulations that control this kind of activity?
1: Well, that's, you know, that's the really big question because we're still talking about hypotheticals. We can see that the technology is moving in this direction, but the reality is it's still to be realized or a lot of it is still to be realized. So it's hard to galvanize that support. Right. Privacy advocates, you know, they argue that we should be moving to define the limits of uh, uh, augmented reality and VR technologies now, putting the rules and laws in place that will protect people's rights. Mm-hmm. You know, even making those hard decisions about what can and can't be done with facial recognition systems, especially those that are controlled by private and profit-making companies. Again, not that we don't have genuine concerns about the ways that governments are implementing the, the same or similar kinds of technology.
0: All right, let me throw out my million-dollar question for you. Why is it hard to galvanise that support?
1: I'm not going to answer. No, um, (laughs) the the problem there is that, you know, the the public and politicians don't get energised about things that might come to pass. And that's a problem in a digital age where ideas can seemingly go from concept to ubiquity in what seems like a few months. Right. Because, you know, as we keep saying, by the time lawmakers debate, enact and implement laws, the technology has already surpassed the ability of those laws to constrain them mm-hmm. or are simply so commonplace and embedded in our lives that it becomes too, almost impossible to uproot them you know, it would be interesting to see a remake of Minority Report where it wasn't the precogs and future crime that was the the theme or the, the biggest issue, where, you know, it would be interesting to see it as a backdrop to the world of targeted advertising and tracking. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, the closest movie example I can think of is John Carpenter's They Live. But mm. even that, Kind of sums up the way we approach these issues. There's Minority Report, which is Spielberg's blockbuster. It's an A-list action epic with a fairly simple moral premise. And then there's They Live, which is John Carpenter's low-budget, underwatched cult classic, which has no clear ending. Uh, you know, in in reality, we don't get those Matrix-like choices. You know, the red pill or the blue pill. We wake up one morning and we find that there isn't a choice. The world is either red pill or blue pill.
0: Well, thank you very much for that, Matt.
1: That's all right. (laughs) Not the happiest note to end on.
0: Well, um, but there you go, folks. You can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. If you did miss any part of this show, don't forget you can download it wherever you normally listen to your podcast from. I recommend the BFM app. It's available in the App Store or on Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station.